Gets a ball out. Eighth inning, 10-3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out a real pitch. He swings, and it's a high fly ball. Deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge backflip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What is up, everybody? Welcome into episode five of Flippin' Bats. I am your host, Ben Verlander. Very, very, very fun episode today. I am pumped up about it. I got the storylines, as always. We got a very special guest, Reese Hoskins, joining me. We got the hotline where you guys call in and let me know what you want, what you want to be told, what your burning questions are, uh, any hot takes you got, I answer those. And of course, the six tool player of the week. But look, I want to get right into it this week because the biggest story in, in, in baseball, in all of sports maybe, uh, is this new rivalry, this Padres and Dodgers rivalry that we have. I was able to be in attendance three of the four games, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And look, it was an, un, it was an experience unlike anything that I've gotten to experience in the, in the regular season. It was definitely the best regular season series I have ever seen, I've ever witnessed. It was awesome. So look, it had it all. It had incredible game-changing double plays. It had monumental milestones, and, and it had Tatis and his dad with a cool accomplishment. There was the Trevor Bauer and Fernando Tatis drama. There was extra inning drama. It, it had it all. It was, it was awesome. But I kind of wanted to, to just walk you through my experience and, and being there and, and starting with game one on Thursday just walking into Dodger Stadium. And I, I've written about in the in the past this series and how I think it's becoming a rivalry. And, you know, I got some blowback from it, and this isn't a rivalry yet. Nothing's happened. Look, I am now here to tell you that this is a rivalry, and it is the best one we have in baseball, and it's possibly the best rivalry in sports right now. It's incredible, and you can feel it in the ballpark. And as much as Dodgers fans didn't want to admit this is a rivalry, you can feel it there. You can feel it. And man, it was awesome. And, and it started the first night, the, the energy, the tension was hot. And then uh, it came later in the game, that Cronenworth double play, that basically, that was the turning point of the game there. Uh, Cronenworth double play. Uh, you could feel the tension. You, you could feel it. You could feel the tension in the ballpark. You could feel the air basically release out of the stadium when that happened. Um, and, and then game two. So I was there again on Friday night. And Fernando Tatis Jr. hit two home runs. Now, we all know who I consider the emerging face of Major League Baseball. Fernando Tatis Jr., in my opinion. And, and this series, I think, put that, put that out there, man. I, I think he has become the face of baseball. He hit two home runs Friday in Dodger Stadium. And you know what was really cool about that night? The, uh, the significance behind it. So, Fernando Tatis Sr., uh, 22 years ago to that exact day, 22 years ago on Friday, became the only player in Major League Baseball history to hit two grand slams in the same inning. What? How? How is that even possible, one? But that's not even the whole point of this discussion. On that day... Fernando Tatis also hit two home runs in the exact same stadium that his dad hit two grand slams in an inning on the exact same day. So that was cool, but arguably not even the coolest thing Fernando Tatis did in this entire season, in their series. We got to Saturday. I'm back. I'm back there on Saturday, and my credentials had me up in the press box to start the game. So I'm sitting in the press box. And Fernando Tatis leads off the game, leads off the game with a homer and rounds the bases. And I, I'm like, you know, I'm super pumped up for him. Um, and then I like see him do something on the bases. I'm like, what? What just happened? What? He, he did something. Whatever. That was cool. And then it starts getting passed around and I'm looking on social media and I see that Fernando Tatis covered one eye rounding the bases to troll starting pitcher Trevor Bauer. Now, for those of you that don't know what happened or, or why that is a troll. In spring training, Trevor Bauer decided to pitch with one eye closed. Um, 
whatever you think about that. It, you know, it rubs some people the wrong way. He pitched with one eye closed, and after the game, basically, in a nutshell, said, uh, if I can get guys out with one eye, imagine how, many, imagine how I can do with, with two eyes. So Tatis hits that homer, rounds the bases, covers one eye. I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my mind at this point, and I'm sitting in the press box, and it was awful. It was awful sitting up there. People are like, oh, nah, nah. They just don't get it. So uh, I had to leave. I had to leave the press box, and I ended up going down onto the field, and I was down there for Tatis's next homer. I was right behind the dugout, right next to it. Tatis comes up to the plate, hits another bomb, walks down the line, uh, ends up getting home, does the McGregor strut, another troll to Trevor Bauer, and I was, I had like chills in the stadium. It was so cool to watch. And I started seeing everybody saying, you know what, Trevor Bauer's gonna be pissed. He's gonna get hit. And I just in my mind didn't think that was true. And, and I wanna throw it to Trevor Bauer's post game interview real quick so he can get his thoughts on it. And then I'll dive a little more into that after this. No, I wanna, I wanna say something about that because I think it's important. Um, you know, he did it in the first. I didn't see it because I was paying attention to doing my job. And then he did it again when he homered off me again later in the game. Their dugout was doing it, um, and I, I like it. I, I think that pitchers who have that done to them and react by throwing at people or you know getting upset and hitting people or whatever, I think, uh, I think it's pretty soft. Um, if you give up a homer, a guy should celebrate it. You know, he, It's hard to hit in the big leagues. Uh, so I'm all for it. And I think it's it's important that, you know, the game moves in that direction and we stop throwing at people because they celebrated having some success on the field. We stop throwing at people because they had some success on the field. Look, I could not be more passionate about this. What took place in game three of this series is what this show is all about. It's what I'm passionate about. It's what everyone wants to see. Look, Fernando Tatis, arguably the most exciting player in baseball, is up there. I think Otani's there too, but Tatis is one of the most exciting players in baseball, doing this on a huge stage in a huge series. I'm not kidding you when I say I had chills in the stands. I was in awe of Fernando Tatis playing baseball. I've watched thousands of baseball players throughout the course of my life play Major League Baseball. I was in awe watching Fernando Tatis on the field and watching him do this. And what Bauer said, look, he gets it. He gets it. It's not about, it's not about showing up somebody. It's not about that. It's about having fun playing the game. Tatis has fun. When he has some success, look, I'm going to celebrate. You know what Bauer did when he had success in that game? He celebrated. That's what it's about. That's what this game, that's what makes this game fun. That's why I want to have a platform to talk about baseball is because baseball is exciting. This sort of stuff is happening. It's happening and, and, and we need to take notice of it. And, and I was just so thrilled to be there and to be at that game. And for that to be Bauer's response, I thought was really cool. You know, he's kind of a, a polarizing uh, figure in the game of baseball, but look, I, I, I think what he's doing for baseball is awesome, and I think that quote right there, that interview, and, and clearly he wanted to talk about it, um, is really big for the game. Really, really big for the game, and what we watched on Saturday night and what I got to witness in person was a monumental shift, I think, in, in the game that I know and love, because, you know, this has been the, the way baseball has been trending for a while and, and it's guys celebrating and having fun and for it to happen on that stage with Tatis the young stud that just got the huge contract against Trevor Bauer the 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 guy that you know is a, is a polarizing figure that's kind of the 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 villain if you will of of Major League Baseball for for that for it to happen in that situation it's <laughs> It was so cool, man, and and to be able to witness that Saturday night was awesome. And then, and then look, we get into the end of the series on Sunday, and uh, what it was seven to one. The, the the Padres come back from a seven to one deficit, 
and end up uh, winning in extra innings. The entire series has just been awesome. From, from game one of the year down in San Diego to, to this game on, on Sunday night. Incredible. And, and this is emerging as the best rivalry clearly in baseball. But I think it compares to some other stuff that we've seen. Look, I, I don't want to compare this to, to Yankees, Red Sox, because there's a lot of history there. And this series doesn't have that history. Um, so this isn't Yankees, Red Sox. But I, it's, it's, it's the most fun rivalry to watch in baseball right now. And it does remind me of some other rivalries in other sports. I think about the Cavs and the Warriors a few years ago when they had those back and forth battles in, in the finals. I think of the Colts and the Patriots, Brady, Manning. Um, that was a, a great rivalry we saw for a while. I, I think, look, this one doesn't have the history as with some of those other ones I just named, but it doesn't diminish the rivalry this is becoming and how exciting it is because uh, look, it's April. It's April. And people are, are tweeting up a storm about this game. People are yelling at their TVs. I got a text from my producer saying it's April and I'm already yelling at my TV. Baseball needs this, man. Baseball needed this rivalry. And we have it. It's the Padres and the Dodgers, baby. And it is the rivalry that baseball has needed for a long, long time. And I'm pumped we have it. I know I just made a strong statement that I think this rivalry is the best in sports, but look, think about it. Think about the other rivalries we have in American professional sports. I'm not talking college sports. I'm not talking soccer because those are kind of a different beast. I'm talking American professional sports. Think of the rivalries we have. Packers, Bears, that's been one-sided for, for years. Uh, the NFC East, Cowboys, any of those rivalries we got there, the NFC East has been a dumpster fire. Think about it. I mean, Pittsburgh Steelers and Ravens is an argument that that is close. It's a great rivalry. But Padres, Dodgers, this is emerging as the best rivalry in sports. I really think it is. And uh, it really, when you think about it, doesn't have a ton of competition around it. This series is awesome. And I'm really excited to watch it for a long time to come. Uh, I did want to get into another storyline. From, from this past week, and it is the no-hitter that wasn't, that took place in Atlanta. Uh, Madison Bumgarner of the Diamondbacks facing the Atlanta Braves uh, through a no-hitter, but, th but that did not count, so let me explain. It was a doubleheader, so it was a scheduled seven-inning game. The game was scheduled to be seven innings. Madison Bumgarner threw a complete game Seven innings, zero hits allowed. It is not counted as a no-hitter, however. But look, I wanted to touch on this for a second. This game was scheduled to be seven innings, right? You knew it going into it. He threw a complete game. It goes in the record books as a complete game. It does. It goes in the record books as a complete game victory for Madison Bumgarner. What it does not go in the record books as is a no-hitter. Doesn't count as a no-hitter. It was not nine innings. We don't count it. I very much so disagree. Very much so disagree. Now, now here's why. I think if it's going to be counted as a complete game in the record books, he, the game was scheduled for seven innings. He threw seven innings. This is a complete game. Great. I'm totally fine with that. It should also be counted as a no-hitter then. If you're going to count it as a, as a complete game, you need to count it as a no-hitter. It's as simple as that. And, and look, I, I understand the side that says it shouldn't be a no-hitter. Uh, it wasn't nine innings. I actually tend to agree with that. But you need to keep it the same. It, it can't count as an, as, an, as an official complete game and not count as a no-hitter. In my personal opinion, it should not count as a complete game, and it should not count as a no-hitter. But if it's going to count as a complete game, it needs to count as a no-hitter. And that is my opinion on, uh, on the no-hitter that was not by Madison Bumgarner. Uh, but I'm very excited to throw it to my guest this week. In this episode, uh, this interview with Reese Hoskins was filmed a few weeks ago, actually. And, and ever since then, Reese has been on fire. Uh, he's hit a lot of home runs at this point. And, and it brings me to a point that I wanted to make about the previous guests from this show. 
I don't know what's happening here, but everyone that is coming on this show is going off. And, and it started with me, you know, tweeting about it and it kind of being a little bit of a joke, like, oh man, Tyler Glassnow's throwing great. Uh, oh man, Trey Mancini's hitting really well. And then it became like this, like, thing. He, they really are. And, and it's, it's the guests that have come on my show. The Flippin' Bats pod luck is insane. Tyler Glassnow's throwing great. Jeff McNeil's hitting huge late game homers and flipping his bat. Trey Mancini's hitting bombs coming back from, uh, from his stage three colon cancer, like we talked about. So, this one was recorded a few weeks ago, and with that, I want to bring in Philadelphia Phillies first baseman, Reese Hoskins. What is up, Reese? How are you, man? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. Appreciate you having me on. It's, okay. uh, it's been a while, but it's definitely good to see you. It has been a while. So I want to get right into it. With uh, We're going to do some trivia questions. Now, what I'm going to do is everybody that comes on the show, we're going to run through some trivia questions. There's going to be 60 seconds. And we're going to have like a leaderboard. So over time, this leaderboard is going to build up. And, uh, you know, we're going to see how many you can get in that 60 seconds. All right. So right off the top. You ready? All right. All right. All right. Let's do it. All right. First question. Who was your first home run off of? Um, of course. Pressure's on. Alex Wood. Or not Alex Wood. Um, Travis, Travis Wood. Account. Travis. <laughs> Who was your first career hit off of? Chris Flexen. Yes. Who was your first career strikeout against? Jake DeGrom, first at bat. Where did you do the bat flip in your first Major League AB? Or where did you bat in the lineup in your first Major League AB? Seventh. Yes. Who was your last minor league game against? Um, Norfolk Tides. What number did you make your MLB debut wearing? 17. Who batted behind you in your MLB debut? Cameron Ruff. Yes. Where was your first away game in the MLB? Uh, San Diego. Done. Wow. All right. I feel like that was really good. Like, really good. (laughs) Not too bad. All right, wait. So you're going to tell me a story there about your first Major League strikeout. So it was against Jacob DeGrom? Yeah, yeah, welcome to the league, kid. Um, yeah, 97 on the black. I think it was a 3-2 count. Um, but never forget it. That is, that's also not like a bad, it's not a bad one. Everybody strikes out against Jacob DeGrom. <laughs> right, right. No not, what? Not bad at all. Um, so, Reese, you and I played against each other in the minor leagues. Um, seemed like a, a couple of years we played against each other, so... Wanted to ask you a question that I ask everybody when they first come on. Um, what is a memory that sticks with you to this day that you have from your minor league days? You know, baseball is so unique. There, everybody goes through the minor leagues. It's different than any other sport. So, what is a memory you took with you from those days that sticks with you to this day? Um, so, I'll give you like kind of a non-baseball related one. All right. uh, 2016, we were in. Portland, Maine's double A. Um, it was like a weekend in the middle of the summer, perfect time to be there. And I got to see chain smokers. Um, we, I think we had an off day there. Um, I got to see chain smokers in a really, really small little venue, which was super cool. And, you know, I've never been to Portland, Maine. What a great little city. Um, but I was like, man, when am, when am I ever going to get to do this in, in Maine? Yeah, man, just were, stuck out. And always were they big yet, or like why were they in such a small venue? I think I think roses had really just blown up. Um, I don't really know though. It was a really really cool venue. There was like a little outdoor space too, um, but it was cool, man. Dude, that's sick. There's something to seeing like like big time performers or groups like that in smaller venues. I, I think that I think that's a really cool thing is being able to see them in like a, I, I feel like they're different. I feel like they act different in smaller venues. Like they can be more themselves and you get a really cool product. Totally. Um, all right. So then you made your debut, your major league debut in August of 2017 um, and proceeded for the next two weeks to just rake. I mean, the fastest player in history to 10 home runs. I mean, what, 
so I, I have experienced being locked in and at, at the minor league level, but never at the major league level and never while making my major league debut. What, how, how cool was that? Were you raking in the minor leagues at the time when you got called up or was it just like something clicked? Yeah, I know I was, um, you know, I think I want to say for like a week before, um, I got called up, it was one of those things that you're not really thinking up there, you know, you're just kind of reacting and stuff seems to always be falling. Like I was getting cheap hits. I was hitting some homers. Um, and then I got called up and struggled a little bit, you know, over 12 felt like over 200 to start your big league career. Um, but, you know, when I got that first hit on a Sunday, I got called up on a Thursday and then kind of felt like the weight of the world was off my shoulders. And after that, off it went. The rest is history. There, there's something. So I was there. There is something to be said about um, the mentality in, in the batter's box. And, and to me, once you get to to a professional level, obviously your swing still matters. And, and that is super important. But but mentally. Um, the game of baseball can can tear you apart. I mean, it, it, an 0 for 4 can turn into an 0 for 8. An 0 for 8 can turn into an 0 for 12. What do you do to not let that snowball? Because I know for me personally, consistency was a big thing in the minor leagues, and that would be my problem, is I'd go 0 for 8, and then you start looking up at the scoreboard, and you see your average start to dip a little bit, and then it can just all pile up on top of each other, and next thing you know, you're 0 for 20. Yeah, if you have if you have an answer or find someone that does, please uh, let me know. <laughs> um, no, look, man, it's it's something I think that all of us struggle with or have struggled with in the past. Um, but you know, like with anything else, you you play more, um, you get more repetition, you learn more about your swing, just about hitting in general, um, about the way that you know you talk to yourself or the way that your mind operates or how it was when you were really good versus how it was when you were really bad. And you just, you know, you get this bank of information um, that you can just kind of fall back on when times get tough. And like you said, your swing at this level or guys swings at this level um, are usually pretty good because if it wasn't, you probably wouldn't be there. So you just got to try to find ways um, to get an edge mentally. And that's usually what makes good players great. Yeah. Do you, do you have something, you fall back onto. I know I, I've heard that Trout before when he starts struggling, and and that's funny to even say because the guy doesn't really struggle. But I've heard him say like he'll he'll like take a take a morning to go out to the golf course, which I which I thought was kind of a cool answer. Do you, do you have something in that bank of yours that you do fall back on? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned golf. Um, you know, there's times where we schedule permitting, you know, we, we can get out on the golf course and not necessarily, it's not really about the golf swing versus the baseball swing, but, um, it kind of gives us something to, to be bad at and get frustrated <laughs> at. It's not the game, um, which goes a long way mentally. Um, but I had someone in the last couple of years tell me, look, man, like everyone at this level is so talented. You just got to find a way to keep walking up to that batter's box. If you can get up there, um, the talent's going to take over at some point. I think, you know, Jeter always used to say, like, I'm open, you know, if he's over 20, I'm feeling good, man. It's, it's something, it's going to come. I, I'm due. You know, if you, it's, it's obviously easier to say than to do, but um, just keep walking up to the batter's box and, and things will turn the way they're supposed to. Yeah. That's that is, I, I wish I had. It, it is easier said than done, though, and I wish in my career at some point somebody, you know, it, it's it's tough because you, you do take it home with you. But you know, so you yeah. started off those first couple of days like that, and then really, really turned it around, and had uh, quite the quite the first couple of weeks it turned out. So so now, you know, now you're now you have yourself established in the major leagues. You're with the Philadelphia Phillies, who I just came out with my jersey rankings uh, a couple of weeks ago. And number one on that list was the Philadelphia Phillies powder blue uniforms. So I want to ask you, you guys wear a lot of jerseys. You have creams, you have the powder blues, you have the maroons, you have the whites. You guys have a lot of different stuff that you, you actually wear during the season. What's your favorite jersey that you guys have that you play, um, that, you, that you like to play in? 
I think the the day game creams are are unbeatable. Um, I love the classic red pinstripes. Everybody, I think, looks pretty good in pinstripes, but the the classic creams. I don't know. It just has a day game feel. Um, they're different than the other ones, obviously. The, the maroon ones were really cool. We only wore them a couple times, but um, some of the details in that were really awesome. Like it was a zip up instead of buttons, which is cool. It's a little throwback. Um, but yeah, I would say the Sunday creams. All right. All right. So now you guys are in the NL East, which in my opinion is the best division in all of baseball this year. Like, like hands down the best division in all of baseball. How exciting is it um, to play in that division? There's, there's so much young firepower, including you guys. I mean, you guys are going to rake from top to bottom. How excited are you to play in the best division in baseball? I mean, this is what we dream about as athletes, right? It's getting, getting to play the best night in and night out. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a dogfight every single night, which is going to be fun, man. Like, obviously, you know, we want to win as much as we can throughout the season. But, um, you know, at the end of the year, if we can look back and, and know that we beat some of the best teams or got through one of the best divisions in baseball, um, we should be feeling pretty confident you know, come, come crunch time in, in September and October. Yep. So, so in 2018, uh, you spent some time in Tokyo for the um, MLB All-Star Experience. Tell, tell me about um, or not the, the, the Japan all-star series. Tell me about that experience. How, how cool was that? I mean, I get to, I got to play baseball on a, uh, the other side of the world. Um, you know, obviously the, the game has, has grown tremendously, um, over there and just to get to see the way that, you know, a different culture, um, you know, and, and those teams over there go about the way that they approach the game. I think it is really, really cool. Um, it's much different for sure, but not, not definitely not in a bad way. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's good to experience those types of things. It's also cool to get, you know, that group of guys together, something that, that doesn't really happen very often. Um, you know, guys from, from each team um, playing in an exhibition series. And I don't know, man, I get to travel the world. How cool is that? That is. So what is something, and, and it is very different. I've, I've never, um, I've been over there. I've never been to a baseball game there, but you can tell it's just different. The, the fans are acting different. The, the rules are a little different. There, there's so much going on, and, and it's a fun product to watch. What is something that Major League Baseball can take from Japan and implement it over here to, to kind of, you know, make, make things better over here? Is there, is there anything that jumps out to you? One thing I thought that was really cool was, um, you know, in the outfield, they almost have like a cheering section or like a, a band section <laughs> or kind of something, a hybrid. And each, each guy, um, you know, when they walk up to the plate, had their own song and the whole stadium knew it. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. A little bit of a, like a soccer type vibe or if you played winter ball down in, in the Dominican Republic, um, you know, there's a little bit of that too. It's just loud and brings, it brings a ton of, a ton of energy, which, Nobody's going to ever complain about that. So, so you just mentioned also playing down in, in the Dominican. And you, so you, you've spent some time playing in Australia and, and in the Dominican. How were those experiences? Again, dude, like, you know, the game is played all over the world and it's played differently all over the world. And you kind of get dropped in these places um, for a short period of time. Um, kind of got to figure it out, but. It's great. Australia is beautiful. Um, the game is, is slowly growing over there as well. And I know in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, it's, it's grown tremendously, um, which, is, which is really cool to see. But the whole winter ball experience is, is so cool because you get to, you know, we play with a bunch of guys from Latin America and the Dominican. Um, and you really understand that the way that they approach the game and the way they think about it based off how winter balls play down there. You know, those guys grow up playing basically all year, you know, th through the season. And then as soon as the season's over, it's time for winter ball. Um, and it's cool to be immersed in that. It's, it's a little bit different baseball pit. You get pitched a little bit different, um, which is good to see, but great time, man. It's, it's awesome. That's so cool. I, 
playing baseball around the world is is <laughs> like there you pick up it, it at the end of the day it's the same game but you know it, it's it can also be so different one thing i've always heard about japan that i don't know if you would have experienced in the the this all-star experience that you were there for but one thing i've always heard when they play baseball in japan is that in like after the fifth or seventh inning or something they take a smoke break like the game stops and they go up into the tunnel and take a smoke break is that do you know anything about that is that true I have heard that. Um, I did not experience that while we were over there. Um, that doesn't mean that it wasn't happening <laughs> you know, on the Japanese side, uh, but I have heard the same thing. So, <laughs> um, All right, so you, you have a lot of nicknames. You got Big Hosk. You got Big Fella. You got Reese Lightning. What, what's your favorite of all of them? I would have to just go with Big Fella. Um, it kind of started as something that my college roommates called me. Um, you know, I got to live with five teammates in college and you know how that goes. We, everyone has a nickname. Mm -hmm. um, so that just kind of stuck. It's something that my friends from back home called me and then the guy start on the team here started to, to say it too. And it goes on the back of my player's weekend jersey. So it makes it a little bit more official. That's the name on the back here. That's cool. So, so you came up, you know, your, your college teammates and that, that started in college and now it's on the back of your player's weekend. That's pretty sick. Yeah. Yeah. A little shout out to them. <laughs> Can't forget where you came from. Yeah. So now, now you're, you know, you're established in the big leagues. You've, you've spent a few, quite a few years up there now, and you're actually the, the player rep for the, for the players union for the Phillies. What, you know, inspired you to, to take over that role? And, and you know, how, how much do you, you carry that with you? Is, how, how important is that to you? So in 17, um, you know, there's a, a lot of turnover within the Phillies organization. And um, I kind of had gotten thrust into it, actually, and didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, you know, in the minor leagues, a lot of the, the union stuff doesn't really get talked about just yeah. because the minor leaguers aren't covered, but um, just get being able to learn about the, you know, the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, um, you know, and where, where we get our rights, how it's developed over time, um, you know, stuff like free agency and the arbitration process and, um, you know, pensions and just little things like that. Obviously it all sounds a little bit boring, but, it kind of, you know, keeps the game going. Um, it keeps the league and, and the players association in check, um, which is good, is good for the fans because the game continues to go on. Um, but it's interesting just to get to, to, to learn the little details um, about all those types of things and, and making sure that, you know, guys around the league are, are covered and, and the union has their back type of thing. How stressful was that last year with, it just seemed like every other day we were hearing about, you know, the talks between the owners and, and you guys like that. Was that a, a stressful time or was it kind of like, you know what, we're just going to hold our ground and hopefully we can play baseball at some point? I would say a little bit of both. Um, you know, I think mostly stressful just because there was so much unknown going on at this time last year, um, you know, really on both sides. I think both parties wanted to play right and wanted to play as soon as possible as soon as it was made safe um but again there's just so many little details that go behind or go on behind the business of baseball that um, have to be worked out and you know obviously that that made it stressful um but we got it done yeah. and you know that's the type of thing that the union prides himself on and will continue to do so as we go forward and and speaking of representing the phillies Last year when, you know, the world shut down and, and there was no baseball being played, MLB The Show did a players tournament. And you represented the Phillies in this MLB The Show tournament. <laughs> what was that experience like? Are you One, are you good at the show? Because I, I stream the show and pride myself on my abilities of playing MLB The Show. Uh, I would not say I'm good. Um... <laughs> I got an I got a chance to beat you though, if I can get hot. Okay. Um, but no, nah, there was a, a lot of other players that were a lot better than I was. Uh, it was fun though, man. Like, you know, it gave something um, for fans to tune in. I think the interactions between, 
you know, some of the players um, that we got were, were pretty cool and really, really candid. And that's something that, you know, not a lot of people get to see every day. Um, you know, I think at that point, too, people were kind of clinging to any entertainment that they could get. So, you know, we got a lot of response and, and got a lot of people tuning in, which was just awesome to see, good for the game. Um, and we had some fun with it, too. I know there was um, some, some smack talk and, um, you know, a lot of competitive games. But I hope it's something that they do in the future. I'm not sure how that will go down or if it will, but um, definitely something that I'd be into again if, we got the opportunity. To are do you so. are you aware that in the MLB the Show community, you yourself have one of the best swings in in that game? Like you're one of the best players to use in the game. Did you know that? I love that. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. But now I do, and I'm gonna go turn it on and <laughs> hit it just because. <laughs> well, I, I wanted. I, I think we're eventually. You know, I want to do something here with MLB The Show someday and, and playing guys. So you're definitely getting taken up on that. And we are definitely playing each other okay. someday. That is happening. <laughs> so, so as somebody that grew up in California, you grew up a huge Raiders fan. And, and the Raiders obviously come with, with a strong fan base. And now you're in Philly, who also have a strong fan base. So, and, and you actually you went to the Super Bowl, um, you know, obviously rooting on or rooting on the Eagles. Um, what is, so what are the different, like there's two polarizing fan bases, but they're so, they're so passionate. What is it like being a Raiders fan and, and an Eagles fan? Do you still root for the Raiders? I will. Yeah. I'll still root for the Raiders. Um, obviously, you know, hometown team is what I grew up watching, but I also think that there's a little bit of leeway there as an AFC versus an NFC team. If they end up meeting in the Super Bowl, well, I get to be a winner either way. Um, no, they, yeah, the fan bases are crazy, man. It's they're different. Obviously, with the Raiders, you have the you know the school thing and people dressing up and the black hole, which I think is great. But the the Eagles fans, I got to be here. I think at a at a peak Eagles time. Obviously, with them winning the Super Bowl, um, I just have never seen a. a fan base like that before I, I never you know seen a team win a, a Super Bowl so that that was different um it's just different man they they care so so much and I think that's kind of generally how it goes with sports on the east coast um especially during the winter months when you know the weather's colder and everybody's huddled around watching the Eagles and that's just kind of how it goes um, it's cool to be a part of. I, I have gotten to meet some of the guys on this this Eagles team, and they're great and they're easy to root for. So, definitely an Eagles fan. Is there anything at Eagles games that that you've heard in the stands that, like, like something funny you've heard a, a fan yell or, or anything that sticks out? Like, I, Eagles fans fascinate me because they come off so like, I, I don't know. They threw snowballs at Santa Claus. I mean, they can be like. It can be mean. <laughs> Have you heard anything in your time that, that, that you remember? They just want to win, man, more than anything. Um, now, I think one thing, I, I don't know of anything specific, but um, they're always willing to stand up and fight for their team, literally or figuratively. <laughs> That's actually the last time I, I saw you. Was, so I'm a Cowboys fan, and I came up right. to Philly to watch the, the Cowboys-Eagles game. And we were in that, I, I saw you in that suite and we talked for a little while. So that is the last time. But before that, it was probably on, on first base down in Clearwater somewhere saying, what's up, man? And you're saying, what's up, dude? Yeah. And <laughs> just repeat, repeat and repeat throughout the year. <laughs> um, so we're going to pop up a GIF on your screen. And what I want to yeah. know is how often this GIF um, circulates around the team group chat. Because this... I mean, th this was everywhere. The JT Real Muto gif. How often, do, how often is this circulated and how often do you guys talk about it? Because it, it should be talked about often. Yeah, it gets used for sure. <laughs> um, just the timing of the whole thing, right, man? Like, obviously, he's not doing that, reacting to who's coming in. Just that was, I, know, I remember that being a frustrating game. I think it was a long inning um it just i think jt said something like man it just feels like any 
any sign I put down, it doesn't really matter that it's getting hit. Um, and sometimes it just be like that. And it's funny that the camera caught him doing that because it's <laughs> turned into something that's definitely used and is extremely funny. Um, but we, we also have given him some crap about it too, which is always in good fun. All right. So another thing we're going to do here with this uh, flipping bats pod is we're going to start a rule book. All right. So I want yeah. you to tell me if you were commissioner for a day, what is one rule you would take out or add to help grow the game of baseball for its audience? I would put the DH in, first of all, and then I wouldn't ban the shift, but I would make infielders stay on the infield. Oh, okay. I like that. You got to let guys make plays. You got to let guys make plays. I don't, I don't remember who said it recently. Lindor. It, it was Lindor. You know, you're kind of saying, yeah, it's great that we're getting outs. Obviously, you know, we want to get as many outs as we can, but um, fans go to see guys make plays and do things that, that they can't do. And why not let guys make plays? Yeah. And so what is your um, – what's your reaction to, to all the moves that the Mets have done this year? Obviously, I think Lindor is probably the best shortstop, well, at least one of the best shortstops in the game. They've certainly added some pieces to, to put themselves right there in the NL East. Yeah, totally. Obviously, they they made a big splash with Lindor. Um, I'm really curious to see how he does coming <clears throat> from the American League into the National League East with all the pitching. Um, but yeah, man, they 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 made some noise this offseason, and and credit credit to their ownership and um, front office for you know addressing some of the things that they felt like they needed to address. It's cool to see um, a lot of team or more teams go for it this year, right? Um, and like I said, it makes the competition so much better and we're getting to play better baseball because the games are, should be closer. Um, we got more, more stars, like you said, in this division, which is going to be a lot of fun to watch night in and night out. Um, but just, it's better for the game. It's better for the fans. Fans get to see a better product. Um, and we'll be excited to, to compete against them all year. Yeah. And, and we, you talked about the the quote from from Lindor, who's now with the New York Mets, about about the shift and, and being able to you know make more plays. You know when he said that, you were the first person that came to my mind. Like yes, we finally get to see all of the range from Reese Hoskins, and he can make all right. those studly plays over there at first base. <laughs> um, scoop the ball and catch. <laughs> scoop it and catch it, baby. Um, all right, so another thing we want to do is um, we're going to have these recurring questions, just some career moments. Um, so I have three questions for you um, in, regards to, in, in regards to your career. So uh, let's see, the first one. What was your welcome to the MLB moment? Um, so my first road trip, I think I mentioned, was San Diego and then San Francisco. Um, so in San Francisco, obviously growing up in Sacramento, I grew up a huge Giants fan. So um, that Sunday day game, Posey was catching, Bumgarner was pitching, and then, you know, I think Bell was playing first, Brandon Crawford was playing short. Just all these guys that, you know, a couple of years ago I was rooting for and had rooted for basically since they got there. I got to go to the 2012 World Series with my dad um, and watch those guys win that. So it's just kind of one of those things like, wow, I was just watching these dudes on TV, you know, dreaming about being on the same field with them. And I've been to the stadium as a fan plenty of times. And here I am facing Bumgarner and posing saying what's up to me. So it was one of those things where it's like, wow, okay, I gotta, I gotta step out and gather myself here. Um, what is your most memorable play on the field? I would say the opening day Grand Slam in 2019. Um, yeah, I probably floated around the bases. I don't, I don't remember my feet really hitting the ground. <laughs> uh, so, so, so loud. It was just, I don't know, it was, a, it was a pretty cool moment. And what is a moment that stands out to you with teammates that has taken place off the field? Hmm. 
Um, I'll go back. I think it was maybe 18 or so. Um, we got a, a group of people to, to go over to a concert. Um, you remember what that was like? Um, we got, we got to go over to a concert, uh, a Willie Nelson and Eric church concert. Um, and we got to meet Willie and that was kind of one of the first times that I had gotten to do something really cool like that. Um, and you know, the whole team got to meet Willie and kind of hang out with them before the show. And it was, it was awesome. It was great. That's so cool. Um, so yeah, the San Francisco Giants one hits a little close to home for me. I as well was at those games. Tough series. <laughs> so did you, so you grew up a you grew up a Giants fan? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So you had some good. Uh, it, it seemed for a while every other it was every other year they were yeah. winning the World Series. Yeah, 10, 12, 14, Those those five years were were pretty good to to us as a fan base out in Northern California. You know who also plays a lot of uh, MLB The Show that I just um, thought about from talking, because speaking of the 2012 World Series, the, the thing that's, you know, Sergio Romo striking out Miggy, ending it all, like, you know, end of the World Series, he throws his glove. He's a huge, like, he's a huge MLB The Show guy and is always, like, you know, always, you know, coming in, in streams and stuff and talking to people. So um, I'm, sure you're, I'm sure you're a fan of his. I, I had to get over that that memory. I actually talked to him about that. I was like, you know, it's actually kind of hard to, to talk to you because the only thing I can think about is you uh, striking out Miggy to end the World Series and then my brother not, not getting a ring. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Reese, thank you so much for joining me, dude. This, this was an absolute blast. Uh, go rake this year, and I would love to have you back on. You're one of the first guests of the Flippin' Bats pod, and, and hopefully uh, you're a recurring guest and we can have you back a couple times. Yeah, dude. I appreciate you having me on. It's it's great to see you, even though it's virtually. Um, yeah, let me know. I'd, I'd love to come back on and glad to see uh, this is going well so far. Can't wait to see where it goes for y'all. Thank you, man. Good luck the rest of the year. Appreciate it. All right. I just wanted to thank my guest, Reese Hoskins, for joining me. The man is on fire. Six bombs so far this year. Seven doubles. Leading the league in doubles. He's one off the lead in homers. Uh, he's killing it. I'm telling you guys, the Flippin' Bets pod luck is real. It is a real thing. So thank you, Reese Hoskins, for joining me. And I wanted to get in to one of my favorite parts of the show, the hotline where you guys can call in, voice your displeasure with your team, go off on your team, uh, ask me any questions you might have. So keep getting those calls in, 213-537-9339 to call me, get featured on the show. Uh, so let's get rolling with the first question this week. Rick, hit me. Hello, Benjamin. My question for you is about your favorite player, Shohei Otani. Being 26 years old, how much longer will we see him pitching and hitting? Do you think we'll see him doing this at 30 years old? If he has to give one up, which will he pick? Thanks. Well, first off, thank you for calling. And that's a great question. I think. And, and you call me Benjamin, which I feel like I'm in trouble. So I got to get this answer right. Um, in my opinion, uh, as I've said in the past, Otani is uh, one of the most exciting players in the league. And he is my favorite player in the league to watch. Um, but it's going to come time where he has to pick one. Absolutely. Absolutely there is. And, and I think we need to enjoy it while it's happening now that, uh, that we get to see both. I mean, look, Monday night, he gets to, he gets to pitch. And he's probably going to be in the lineup. Like, that hasn't happened in 100 years. I mean, he did it earlier in the year. Before that, 100 years. It's so cool, and I think we need to enjoy it while it's happening. And I do think it's going to come time. He has to pick one. And I think he's, going to, I think he's eventually going to become just a hitter. Um, just too much risk comes about from pitching. Uh, all of the injuries you see him uh, pop up with are a result of pitching. Uh, you know, when he had the arm issues last year, he had the blister problem already to start the year. Uh, so I think eventually we're going to see him transition into just becoming a hitter. Uh, I don't know a specific age. I don't know if at 30 he'll still be doing both. Uh, but I do think uh, at some point we'll have to see him transition out of the pitching role and just into a full-time hitter role. So thank you for that question. Good one. Let's see what's next. Ben, hi, Julia here. I have been a fan of yours for years. Was really hoping to see you in the MLB. 
thank you for finally accepting my friend request that I sent you six or seven years ago on Facebook. <laughs> um, I am from Ruscio, Ohio, and I'm a big Reds fan. Another thing that I'm pissed about is that I'm not calling the game on April 20th versus the Diamondbacks sooner. But Lucas Sims was a savage for throwing the balls away that the ump kept giving to him. Why are the umps being ridiculous and waiting to call the game? Also, the red bullpen is just a dumpster fire. I wish that they could improve that. And I want to get your thoughts about continuing the rule from last year on putting a runner on second base when we go into extra innings, because I personally think it is dumb. Um, so I just wanted to get your take on it. Thanks. Uh, Julia, thank you for calling, and you're welcome for the accepted friend request. Uh, funny story about that. I actually, when when this podcast was launched, we have a Facebook page, and I needed to be more active on Facebook, so I went on for like the first time in forever and uh, just started accepting people. Um, so to answer your first question about the Reds, uh, I was watching that game live when it happened and was only it was one of only a few people to, to even talk about what was going on. It was, it was a big deal, and for those that don't know what she was talking about in the Reds game uh, at the beginning of the week, it was pouring down rain, like pouring, and it was also sleeting, really bad conditions. And uh, Lucas Sims was on the mound for the Reds, and who's, who's been a, a good pitcher for them, uh, who also has good control, and he was struggling with his control. And it got to the point where he just couldn't throw strikes, and he started, like, throwing his hands up. Like, it, it got to the point where even I was like, what's going on out there? And he was throwing his hands up. Uh, the catcher was throwing his hands up at the crew chief who was out at second base. Like, what are we doing? And uh, at one point, the umpire comes walking out to, to give him a new ball because he kept saying the ball was getting wet. So the umpire walks out with a new ball, and he kept throwing him out. <laughs> he kept getting it and throwing it out, getting it thrown out. And the umpire, like, walked away like, I don't know what you want me to do. I'll tell you what he needed to do. He needed to call the game. It was getting bad. It was dangerous. It was puddling up in the field. The pitcher is throwing 98 miles an hour and can't control it. Uh, it was really strange, I thought. And, and I'm glad you asked because it, I, I think it, it was towards the end of the game. Um, and I think it was almost to the point where the umpires were like, we just need, we need to get through this inning. We need to get through this inning. Uh, I, I played baseball for a while and, and at the professional level. And so, you know, when you start playing professionally, you get a better relationship with the umpires because you're around them all the time and a lot of them repeat. So you know all the umpires. And I remember some rain delays where I would be talking to guys and they'd be like, man, we just we needed to get through that inning. Would have been, you know, this would have happened, this would have happened. I think that's what they were doing. I think the umpire was just like, we, we have to get through this inning. Uh, but it got bad and, and it was a bad look out there and, and became pretty dangerous. Um, so I, I don't, and, and then when he did call out the, the, the field crew, it was for the to repair the mound. I was just like, finally, finally they're calling out the field crew, uh, but and it was to just repair the mound. And then eventually they called it. Uh, so so that was a fiasco in itself. So I'm glad you asked about that. And the second question you asked about was a runner on second base in extra innings. That's a great question and one I've been getting a lot actually. Um, so a new rule that started uh, last year in the 60-game season because of the new COVID rules was that in extra innings, a runner would be starting on second base, starting in the 10th inning. Um, my opinion on this is I do not like the fact that it is starting in the 10th inning. I think we should give at least two more innings of, of actual baseball and, and see how it shapes out. Give it the 10th, give it the 11th of a normal nobody on, nobody out type of situation. But I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all. And, and I would be fine with it starting in the 12th inning. I think it adds a little bit of excitement. I think it makes for, look, if I'm going to turn on the game in extra innings, oh, man, there's a guy on second base in, in, in the 11th inning, in the 12th inning. This is, this is great. So I don't hate it. I understand it. And yes, the, baseball is one of the only, is the only sport I can think of where rules don't change when you go to overtime or the extra innings. Uh, so I don't hate it, but I, I just wish it would start a little bit later. I don't love the fact that it starts in the 10th inning. So uh, thank you guys. Oh, wait, we have another question. Forgot the third voicemail. We have a third one, baby. Rick, hit me with that third voicemail. Hey, Ben. Love the show. It's George from Richmond, Virginia. One question for you. Looking at the standings now, which division 
is least likely to change? Which division is least likely to change? Uh, I'm guessing the standings. Which division is least likely to change with the standings? And look, I, I think about a lot of the divisions. I think a lot of them are a little out of whack right now. Uh, you got the, the AL East with the, the Orioles above the Yankees. I don't think that's going to stick. You got the NL East. My World Series prediction is the Atlanta Braves, uh, and they're not towards the top of that division. I think that's going to change. Uh, you know what I would go with is the NL Central here. Uh, towards the top of that division, you got the Brewers on top right now and the Cardinals at two. I like the way that's shaping out. Uh, I, I think that's going to end up the way this division shakes out. I, I think the Padres or the, uh, the, uh, the Brewers have the best one-two punch in baseball right now, having Woodruff and, and Burns right there at, at two. They're awesome, and I, I previously predicted the, the Cardinals to win this division, but if I could change a couple weeks in, I would pick the Brewers to win it, and that's how it's shaping out right now. The Brewers at one, the Cardinals at two, and that's how I think it's going to shape out when all is said and done this season. So thank you for getting in your voicemail questions this week. Please, please keep getting those in. I love this segment of the show. It's a lot of fun to be able to do it with you guys, to know what questions you guys have for me. So get those questions in to 213 five three seven nine three three nine it can be questions you have it can be uh, a hot take you have and it can even be you pissed off at your team so uh, i'm excited for those to start rolling in as we get further in but i wanted to transition into this week's six tool player of the week and to no surprise this one is fernando tatis jr the face of Major League Baseball. I'm rocking his shirt right now. He's so exciting. And look, we talked earlier in the show about all he did this week. Uh, but I, I could talk for days about this guy. He is super exciting to watch. But look, I, I think it boils down to this. Like I said, I was in awe of Tatis watching him in person. I've seen a lot of people play in person. And this one's just different. He's different to watch. And, uh, you know, all the homers he hit this week, he hit a homer in three consecutive games at Dodger Stadium, the first shortstop in history to do that. So that alone is exciting. But look, as you know, the six-tool player isn't about stats. It's about being exciting. It's about flipping bats. He did that. He did that Saturday night right in front of me on the field. He hit the bomb. He walked down the line. He flipped it straight up in the air. When you think of a bat flip, that's what I think of, what he did. Saturday night. Uh, so this week's six tool player of the week, Fernando Tatis. And, you know, it's been an ongoing argument on this show. Fernando Tatis, in my opinion, is the face of baseball. And, and I talked about it before with my producer. Uh, he has his opinion. Uh, he said Mookie Betts. And I said that what I said is we don't have one. Major League Baseball does not have a face of baseball. But Fernando Tatis is emerging as such, and I think he will eventually be the face of baseball. And what I'm here to tell you now is that Fernando Tatis is the face of baseball. This is the best rivalry in sports, in my opinion. And he did this on the biggest stage. He did this in the best series and the biggest rivalry. Five homers, three consecutive games with a homer. He's the face of baseball. So, uh, Producer Davis, what say you, my friend? Still April is what I'm going to say. Um, but if we're talking about this last four-game series, Mookie Betts was very quiet. Let's not forget that he ended the first series with an amazing catch. But five home runs at Dodger Stadium. He's about to catch Barry Bonds with most home runs, and it's, like, it's just absurd. Stealing second base to set up the winning run. Like, everything he's been doing, the swag, the taunting, um, but the one thing that finally convinced me was that piece that they ran with all the star players like Bryce Harper and Bauer. And yeah. they talked about who the most exciting player was. If the elite players are saying Tatis, then I can't really argue with them. So I'm here to defer to you and say that I was wrong. <laughs> and Fernando Tatis Jr., the cover boy of MLB The Show, is the face of baseball. Let's go. I love it, baby. And I, I actually did see that. It was a it was a mixture of like the biggest stars in the game. It had it had Trout, it had uh Bryce Harper, uh Aaron Hicks was involved in this and they they were all asked who is the most exciting player in baseball. And every single one of them said Fernando Tatis, which I thought was kind of telling. 
Correct. But I will say this, though. There could be two faces of baseball. I, I'm hoping that when it's all said and done in about five to ten years, we look at Tatis-Mookie rivalry kind of like how we look at Ronaldo-Messi. Like, we were just so lucky to get two great elite players of all time in the same era. Like, it's not the LeBron-MJ where they just missed each other. I'm hoping we get a trio of that when you throw in Trout. Um, Trout's getting a little bit more confident. I know, did you see that thing when he talked about being a 99-ranked player? I did see that. That was great. Could it be any under than that? (laughs) If we get more of that of Trout, that's a perfect trio to lead us into the next era. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I I don't think we're going to, I don't think Mookie's going to end up being in that discussion. But look, I I think Mookie, I think Mookie's the second best player in in Major League Baseball right now. I do. I think it's Trout, Mookie. But I don't think either of them are the face of baseball. I think it's Fernando Tatis. And I think this weekend proved that. But with that being said, I will give you that one. I was wrong. I think I said it like three episodes ago. But I have a completely new bone to pick with you okay. that I'm very passionate about oh. and very disappointed in you that you would even say something Whoa, like this. I don't, I don't even know where we're going right So, here. Director Rick, would you mind please throwing that in the wall, please? <laughs> and you said, Ben, Bryce Harper's the most underrated player <laughs> in baseball, end quote, Ben Verlander. So please explain yourself before I get very passionately angry at you. I will explain myself. Thank you for bringing this up. Uh, I think Bryce Harper is a very underrated player in the game. Um, I, I tweeted this a few days ago, and do I think he is the single most underrated player in Major League Baseball right now? Probably not. Do I think he is a very underrated player? Yes. And here's why. I don't think an underrated player can be somebody... Well, you can be somebody that's not super well-known, but you're, you're a really good hitter. Like a, a, somebody random that's hitting 300. Yeah, you're probably pretty underrated. I think it's more so somebody that is making all of this money, that is expected to perform, that people love to hate on. People love to hate on Bryce Harper. But at the end of the day, he's putting up numbers. Uh, he's hitting homers. He's putting, seats in, he's putting people in the seats. He's selling jerseys. I think that more so makes somebody underrated. Somebody that's expected to perform that people hate that actually is. I think he's super underrated. But underrated is someone that is being overlooked. So that 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 leads to my question of where do you think Bryce Harper stands in the grand scheme of baseball? Because he's a $300 million man. Like anyone getting paid $300 million is not underrated. I would argue that I he disagree. Might- he would, totally disagree. I would argue that he might be actually perfectly rated. Not only does he have a $300 million deal, not only did the team he left after starting his whole career there won the World Series after he was gone. And I will tell you that Bryce Harper at one point was the face of baseball. He, I think, is the one that ushered in this brand new era of making baseball fun again. He's the OG of that. But I think he's perfectly rated. He's not even a top five player, and he's making over $300 million. He's a top 10 but he's definitely not top five. I think I think the money argument is what is even more an argument for me. I think the fact that he's making the money he is, and people still don't think he's playing well. People people hate Bryce Harper. He gets so much hate. And if you look at the numbers, he has been a good player. He but and it's not just about the player he is on the field. It's about how hard he plays the game. It's about the number of homers he hits. It's about the number of jerseys he sells. And people hate on him. And I think it's even more of an argument having a superstar like Bryce Harper. I think you can more so have a superstar be the most underrated than some some average player because he is a superstar in the game of baseball. But people think his career has just been uh, underwhelming, I'd say, and I could not disagree more with that. I could not disagree more. Well, I don't think it's been underwhelming for one. And for the record, I'm a huge Bryce Harper fan. Yeah, I mean, Bryce Harper, we're, we're 92 babies, so I followed his entire career throughout high school and baby. all that stuff. Same as you, BV. But he's just perfectly rated. Like they, It's blasphemy to consider him underrated. You can't make blasphemy. that kind of money. Like You just can't. Think about like he has one MVP. The fact he's probably overpaid. You could argue that he might be a tad overrated, but underrated is just absurd. It's just absurd. You're just. I absurd. think he's perfectly. Where do you rank him in baseball right now? Where do you rank him? He's ranked exactly where he should be. He's getting paid what he should be. He might not be living up to his contract. Might not be. He's number three in sales. There's a reason why he's number three in jersey sales. That's not underrated. 
what, you think he should be number two or number one? No. I don't think he's a number two or number one player in baseball. I think he is – I don't know where I would rank him directly, but I, I know – look, I, I've just – I'm on social media a lot. I see what people have to say about baseball, and there's not much you can say about it right now. He's hitting 350 with a bunch of homers. He's kind of quieting, quieting everybody, but I think he got the contract he did. 300 plus million dollars and people were expecting him to go hit 350 with 50 home runs every year in a small ballpark in in Philadelphia and that's just not fair that's that's not gonna happen so I think people have started to think that he is not as good of a player and that he's underperforming from the contract that he has and I could not disagree more with that and and Look, I, I think we're just going to go in circles on this one. I 100%. think we're going to end up agreeing to disagree. Um, He's not even the best player in his division or most notable. I mean, best player in the division is Ronald Acuna. He's going to be one of the best players in baseball for a long time to come. But look, we'll agree to disagree here. I think Bryce Harper is one of the most underrated players in baseball. Uh, would I say he is the most? No. Probably not, but I do think he's one of the most underrated players in baseball, and I stand by that. I really do. Uh, but that does it for this week's episode of Flipping Bats. Uh, this was a fun one, guys. Uh, this was a really fun one. So thank you for getting your questions in, as always. Thank you for listening. Uh, make sure you tune in next week for another very exciting episode, and make sure you're following everywhere on socials that you have. If you have a Twitter, follow it. If you have an Instagram, follow it. If you have a YouTube, follow Flippin' Bats Pod in all of those places. So follow those. Make sure you're subscribing uh, on, on Apple, on Spotify, all that good stuff. And rate it five stars, please, if you want to. Uh, but until next time, I will see you guys later. Thank you for uh, listening to this episode of Flippin' Bats. It's a blowout. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out for real Swings and it's a high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone. Home run and a huge backflip to celebrate.